Hey, Being at Work listeners, welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I am loving today's conversation. It's one that's personally so valuable for me and no doubt will relate with our listeners. Our guest has learned the power in having the hard conversation, particularly when it comes to asking for help. Karen Weeks is the Chief People Officer at Order Groove, but what you really need to know about Karen is how she has gotten comfortable doing the uncomfortable thing. Listen in as we talk about the ingredients for having a tough conversation and how doing so frees you up. And actually, it's often not nearly as hard as we make it out to be in our heads. So check it out. So I actually started in theater. I was a stage manager. I worked out in LA and Hollywood for a few years and realized as much as I loved the work, having it be my livelihood was not what I was hoping it would be. I really wanted a little more stability. I wanted to know where my job was, what city I could live in. I was going to pay the rent and that just wasn't affording it. And the business side of the arts took away all the fun stuff of the arts for me. So I was kind of sitting there going, well, now I have no idea what I want to do because that was everything. It was my whole life. So I started talking to people, everything we ask people about, what do you want out of your career? What did you like? What didn't you like? And long story short, I got into HR and it absolutely fit what I was looking for. I love helping people with their careers, bringing the business and people together. So it was amazing. But throughout my HR career, I've probably worked in every section of HR. I've done benefits and payroll. I've done compensation. But my real love has been in the HR shared services of training and development, org design, coaching, anything to sort of really help activate people and help them be set up for success. It's such a good blend of your natural talents and strengths flowing into this role. And no doubt your theater background plays out. When I was talking about what I enjoyed, as a stage manager, I really enjoyed creating a shared experience because every night a show is different. And this was way before anyone called it culture and employee experience, but that's the theory of we all come together at a company and we're having that shared experience as a company. And now it's much more intentional, right? Like what kind of culture does a company want to create? And through design and learning and development, you're able to facilitate that experience. I mean, really help to shape it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. It was the right stuff for me. I mean, it's fascinating that we ask 18 and 20-year-olds, what do you want to be when you grow up? When you have no context of what is actually in the world. I had done a couple of summer jobs, but I didn't know what different roles were in business. I just knew I loved being in theater. And so that was a natural progression to begin my career. And then, like I said, once I got into it, it just didn't fit the kind of life that I wanted. So I was so thankful that I found a career by my mid to late 20s that fit me. Yeah. And that's the key, isn't it? Finding something that allows you to use those natural strengths and talents that you have to shape the life that you want. Well done, Karen. I love hearing that. So when I asked you recently about a pivotal moment in your life that taught you a lot about your leadership, you immediately said there's a couple of stories. And as we unpacked those, we saw this theme of doing the uncomfortable thing. Absolutely. And it's really interesting because that's actually one of Order Groove's company values is we're comfortable being uncomfortable. When we were chatting earlier, I think the thing that first stood out to me was when I was in the wrong role for myself. And this really helped then as I framed these conversations for employees later in my HR career. 
But early in my career, I knew I loved HR, but I was still trying to figure out what the different roles were, what different opportunities were out there. So I was just kind of saying yes to everything just because I wanted to learn and get exposure. So I had been in HR for a couple of years. I had the opportunity to move within the company I was in into a compensation role, and it was not the right fit at all. It was just wrong. I enjoy being around more people. I didn't want to just sit and work in Excel. It was obviously a very important role and really important work. We were creating comp bands. We were looking at merit, but it just didn't fit my skill set or honestly my interests. But I was also working for a brand new manager who was new to the organization. So she was trying to figure out her own stuff. I had other stuff going on in my life and in my marriage that was putting stress on my work. And so it was just a bad situation in every place. And I was literally on the verge of getting fired. And I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. And so it finally took some tough conversations, some really honest, like, you are on the brink, what are we going to do conversations where I had to say, this just isn't for me. Like, I'm just not enjoying this. I don't know what that means, but I know this isn't right. And thankfully, I had built up enough credibility in the first job I had in this company. And I had made some good relationships where they said, we need this training coordinator. I mean, go there, at least get healthier in all areas of your life. And if you like it, great. And if not, maybe that will just help you be in a better place for the time being. And I thought that was so kind and so thoughtful that they didn't just kick me out the door. And that was a huge turning point because I learned what I didn't want. And I had to face some tough conversations that I was not good at having. But also it put me on the path to be more focused on career development and coaching. And that's part of HR. Yeah. There's so much in that story I want to unpack. How long had you recognized this is not the right role? It was probably six to nine months. I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, I probably knew a lot sooner than that, (laughs) but I'm determined. I'm a high performer. I can make this work. I can figure this out. Yeah. And so I'm not figuring it out. So what was it you think that finally led you to raise your hand and say, this is not working? It's interesting because it's actually something I've noticed about me as a human as well is perseverance is amazing, but there also has to be a moment where you can't persevere anymore and that's okay. And I've seen that in my personal life. I've seen that in other moments in my career. And so I think it got to the point of I was literally about to be fired. Like we were at that stage. I was getting those kind of performance conversations that many of us have had with our team members. And it's at those moments where I finally break and I say, this isn't right. I need help. This is not the right role for me. I can't do this anymore on my own. But sadly, sometimes I have to get to that breaking point before I can admit that. So I kind of didn't have a choice, but luckily I at least found my voice before it actually got to that point. Yeah. But it also makes me think about how many times in organizations that conversation doesn't happen and someone isn't performing. And we just assume that they're a poor performer when no, that wasn't the case. You were a poor performer in that role because it wasn't aligned with your passions, your strengths, your gifts, your talents. Yeah. And when I coach managers now, I talk so much about if we're going to put someone on a performance improvement plan, it has to be because they're actually going to be able to improve, not just check the box to fire them. And if we don't think there's a path to improvement, let's have that honest conversation with the employee. They may still want to try and great, we support you, we'll try. But I want the employee to know the honest truth. Like there's a big gap here. I don't know if this is going to work out. We're willing to try, but I want you to know that going into this. Well, and odds are they are feeling it too. We want to win. We want to be successful. I think everyone wants to show up and add value. 
So when you're not, I mean, you're feeling like you were feeling. It feels like shit. It feels awful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost a relief when someone else says it out loud. You're like, well, maybe I can kind of keep faking it long enough. (laughs) Right. When you argue with reality, you will lose 100% of the time. We might as well just say the hard thing. Well, and so that's one of the things you've learned, right, is to raise the flag earlier, to ask for help earlier. How has that played out for you, that learning? It's really interesting because the other situation that I thought of when we were first chatting was when someone actually said that back to me, and I thought it was really powerful because it was one of those moments of, I thought I was doing the right thing by quote unquote protecting someone, and actually I was protecting them too much. So we had a situation at another company I was the HR business partner for this team. We were down a couple of managers. So someone on the team was stepping up to be a manager for a short-term period while we hired. But she was great, but it wasn't going to be the right long-term role for her. And we all agreed to that, even her. And so I was treating her more as the individual contributor than this interim manager. And I wasn't inviting her to some manager meetings. I wasn't including her in some trainings. And what I thought I was doing was, well, because it's going to feel crappy if she's in those and then she's taken out, even though we all knew it wasn't a long-term thing and her team knew it was interim. And she came to me and said, I feel like I'm not going to be able to be successful even in this short-term interim situation because I'm not in those meetings and my team sees that. And I'm not getting the exposure that I need, even if it's for three months, to be the best manager for this team. And even if I don't want to be a manager long-term, I'm probably still going to learn something. I was like, yep. That was my mistake. I was trying to not set you up for disappointment when in fact I wasn't setting you up for success. Right. But good for her. And I wonder in both situations, there are these ingredients for having the hard conversation. And one thing I hear in both situations is the person receiving the information, there was openness. So you in that situation were open to her feedback. How important is that, do you think, in this equation? I think it's huge because it's creating the safe space. So I think in those situations too, she and I had been working together for maybe a year or so at that time. We had created that trust in that relationship. So she felt comfortable coming to me and giving me that feedback. It's so interesting. We just had a recent training at Order Groove around sense of belonging and really helping people in those moments where maybe they misstep how to have that conversation of, hey, that maybe wasn't the best thing. It didn't make me feel like I belonged. And we talk so much about you have to create the space for that trust before that moment happens so that if you do have to get that feedback, they know it's a safe space to give you that feedback. Well, and I love that the conversation is shifting to that because I think for years we've been talking about you just got to be courageous and you just have to say the hard thing. It's really hard to do that when there isn't safety in the repercussions of what could happen as a result of that. What do you think about that? What if the environment isn't as safe? Should I still say the hard thing? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's all about finding the person that can help you or who you do feel safe with or who can maybe give you some advice or be another voice for you. Because as someone who has been in that moment who was finding a hard time finding my voice and speaking up and in that moment of hearing it from someone else, you mentioned it earlier, the relief you feel once you have the tough conversation is so much better than the awkwardness of having the conversation. (laughs) That lasts 10 minutes, let's say. The relief then lasts forever. And that's a really good point because I think sometimes our perception is that it isn't safe. But if we haven't tried to broach it, we don't really know that, right? 
And if you have and it hasn't gone well, that's when you can find someone else to try to turn to. Is it a peer, a mentor, your HR partner, another manager, someone to either get some advice or go to them and say, can you help me navigate this situation? But you also have a choice. And so if that situation isn't safe for you or you don't feel like you're being heard, you can start looking for something else. And I hope it never gets to that for people, but it is a choice. It's the reality. Yeah. Let's go back to this idea of what are the ingredients for having the hard conversation. So we've talked about the environment being one of openness and environment that's safe to engage in those kind of conversations. The other thing I hear, though, is the way in which you and your team member in both situations, the way in which you addressed it. It sounds like there was a lot of vulnerability. Both of you were saying, hey, I'm struggling here and I need some help. It's all about the I statements. I feel, it feels like to me, what I'm noticing, my perception, because I think sometimes there is a natural reaction as humans, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all humans, even in these workplaces where we're supposed to be professional, we're still humans at our core. And so I think being able to say how I feel, the impact I'm feeling helps the other person not get as defensive. Because again, we're humans. We're going to say, ooh, that's not what I meant, or I don't know why you'd think that. So if you start with I or me or the impact it has on me, that helps it be less judgmental of the other person, which again, even if you don't mean it, a human might react that way. You got it. Naturally. Let's just take your situation. You're in this comp role, not feeling successful, and you owned it. Like, I'm struggling here. I don't feel like this is the right role. Versus you all put me in a role that's not going to set me up for success. And that's immediately going to put someone on the defensive. Owning it. In having the hard conversation, you got to own your part in it. Yes. And talk about your feelings and start with you. Because those are such relatable emotions that everyone can connect with. Because we naturally want to help. Like, well, I don't want anybody to struggle. I don't want anybody to feel off. So how can I help you? What words do you share? Like what words do you think are helpful in that moment? I think it really comes down to, it feels like to me or how I'm seeing this or how I'm feeling. And that also then allows the conversation to be, how can we help you not feel that way? Or what can we be doing different? Or how can I be supporting you differently? And then it gets into solution oriented. Because I think that's the other trick too is, sure, things aren't going well today, but what are we going to do about it? But you have to acknowledge the feelings first in order to then figure out what the actions are to address those feelings and get to a better place. Oh, that's so good. That's the outcome of having the hard conversation. You know, you mentioned how it frees you up. What do you think that is and how and why does that happen? It's amazing. And I talk to actually managers about this on the other side. Like if they have someone on their team that's struggling, you don't realize how much energy and mental space it's taking up for someone. And so when they're nervous about having the tough conversation as a manager to have a tough performance conversation or maybe even let someone go, first of all, out of respect for the other person, you should do it because no one wants to be struggling and in a role they're not being successful. But also as a manager, you have no idea the amount of space it's taking up in your brain. And so anytime you're struggling with something, letting it go or dealing with it or moving on from it, whatever the right action is, it then allows you to be healthier. It allows you to be more focused. It allows you then to be successful because it is weighing on you. And that distraction or that 
nervousness every time your manager calls you to say, hey, can we talk? Oh my God, is this the time? Like, do they now know I'm not doing well? (laughs) Are they in on the secret? They've figured it out. So it literally frees up brain space. Yeah, which is healthier for everybody. I talk a lot about the fact that we are whole humans. And if I'm struggling at work, it's going to impact home. It's going to impact my health. It's going to impact relationships. If something's going on at home, it's going to distract me maybe from work. So if you are struggling or you need to have a tough conversation, that is going on in your head over and over and over until you actually confront it. And then you're like, it's done. And we can all relate to that. And so we often spend a lot of time dreading the conversation. It's so important to remember the freedom that can come from having it. That can be a motivator and a driver. We make up in our heads all kinds of things. And often that are not true about the relationship, the conversation. And so having the courage to press into it with openness and with vulnerability and making it about how we're feeling, the odds are in your favor. And I'm sure you've done this a lot as a coach as well is, well, what happens if you don't talk about it? What will your life be like? What will your work be like? And of course, it's never any better. It only gets worse. What's the worst case scenario? Maybe they yell at you. Maybe they do fire you or something. But isn't that still better than the situation you're in right now? And those worst case scenarios are rare, but sometimes it's worse in our heads. So if I never did anything, what would happen? Well, it's only going to stay the same or get worse. That's not the right answer. So what's the worst case scenario if I have this conversation? It'll be awkward. Maybe someone will fuss at me, but it'll be over in a few minutes and you'll be still be better on the other side. Okay. So- You were saying earlier that when there's trust in the relationship, it's easier to have these conversations. But I also think by having the conversation, it is a trust builder. It builds credibility. It tells me what's going on in your head and your heart. So of course, that's going to create connection and trust. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if you think about it the opposite way, if you're lying in a relationship that's not a healthy relationship and you're omitting information by not saying I'm struggling or I need this thing or whatever the thing is you're going through. So it's not going to be a healthy relationship. The way to build trust is to actually do it. Well, and you were talking about wholeness earlier. When I think about integrity, I think about like an integer being a whole number. We show up with integrity, we're showing up with all of us. And when I'm withholding what's going on with me in a relationship, I'm not bringing all of me to it. I'm not living with integrity. And we can feel that internal, something's off here. Yeah. I recently went through a situation and the manager was like, I don't know, there's just something going on. And they finally talked about it. And and she was like, I knew something was going on and I didn't want to push because they weren't ready to talk about it. Especially if you have a decent relationship with someone, even in a world where it's remote and sometimes you don't get the same social cues, your spidey sense is going to go off and it's okay to ask about it. And like I said, maybe they're not ready to talk about it yet, but if you ask you're at least creating the space to say, when you're ready, I'm here to talk to you. Which builds trust, which says the environment is safe in which to engage in hard things. So those are my takeaways. Having a hard conversation, creating an environment in which to do so, always building trust and paying attention to, is this an environment where I'm open to the people in my life raising their hand and saying, hey, I'm struggling. And then being willing to model that myself And taking ownership of it, using I statements, talking about how I'm feeling, that's the best way to engage because it's disarming. 
Well, and it's the only thing you know for a fact. You know how you're feeling. You don't know what the other person's going through. And when we start making assumptions, we can get ourselves in so much trouble. Well, Karen, thank you so much. This has been hugely valuable for me personally. I really appreciate this. So thank you so much. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. LinkedIn is always the best place. So it's Karen D. Weeks on LinkedIn. You'll see that I work at Order Groove, so you'll know it's the right one. And I'd love to connect with anyone to either further the conversation or just if this was helpful. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 